if you didn't do take the time to confront um, your fears, commit to the process and do that personal development, you wouldn't have seen growth on the musical side. Yeah, for sure. Welcome to Keep Taking Ground, the saxophone podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Ryan, and today's guest was born in Santiago, Chile, and began playing the saxophone when she was just six years old. She started performing and touring at an, in her early teens and went on to earn a degree from the prestigious Berklee College of Music in Boston. In t- 2013, at age 24, she became the first female musician and the first South American musician to win the Thelonious Monk International Jazz Saxophone Competition. She's released six albums as a leader, and her music has been described as cultured, emotionally weighted, and purposeful by the Boston Globe. Melissa Aldana, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Good, and you? I am doing well. I'm so excited that we could uh, finally get to do this um, You've been somebody that I've really admired um, for a really long time in terms of your approach to music. Um, and we were talking earlier and, and your, your passion and your love for, for, the, for music and jazz and the tradition is, is so potent. So it's a really, really a pleasure to have you um, here today. Thank you um, for having me. Yeah, thank you for, for uh, being uh, a part of this. I wanna start right at the beginning um we heard already that you started playing the saxophone at age six and that's that's not the norm so let's talk about that how did you start playing the saxophone and um what was your how did you come up through uh, music yeah well my 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 father is a saxophone player mm-hmm. and my grandfather was a saxophone player as well oh, wow. he used to play tenor so I grew up seeing my father um doing lessons and I don't remember my grandfather he died when I was around five Okay. But I was just always, um, I was always amazed by the instrument, you know. And my dad one day was doing a, a, a group lesson with some other people. And they, they were playing like a saxophone quartet tune. And they needed like another saxophone to play a few notes. And I was around six and I was always going around. And I was like, let me play, let me play. <laughs> so he was like, okay, there you go. So he gave me the, the alto and I fell in love, you know. Wow. And from what I hear from some other people that were friends of my dad or students, like my dad was really, was very strict, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, waking up before going to high school and practicing, you know, or like wow. doing hours and hours. But I don't have any like bad memories. I just really love that. I really remember like loving the process so wow. much, you know, yeah. just really loving like getting better since I was a very young age. So mm-hmm. that's how it started basically. Amazing. And you started performing and touring in your early teens. Like, do you remember your very first professional gig? Uh, well, I did some things um, in Chile. I was playing jazz clubs, you know, but I will say like I really started with the experience, experience of playing and traveling mm-hmm. when I moved to New York, okay. you know? Okay. Um, yeah, before, I mean, I, I was always playing little gigs here and there. I was playing in Santiago, but to me, like it really started when I moved to New York. And I started playing with, or even like at Berkeley, you know, the experience of playing with people that were much better than me. Right, right. 
so you went on to study at, at Berkeley. And what was that experience like for you? Um, I don't even know how I make it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was 18. Um, you know, I think that I was sort of running from my family too. So it was kind of like I was just wanted to leave. Mm -hmm. uh, so that kind of made the thing a little bit easier, you know, okay. I didn't went through that, like, calm secret. I, I was just like, so happy to finish high school and get out of there. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, like, when I was at Berkeley, I didn't speak English when I moved there. So that was, I think that because of that, like, I, I couldn't take much advantage of everything. You know, I some lessons, I would, like, I just practice a lot. I hang out with your garçon, that was my main mentor. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, Bill Pierce, Greg Osby, um, Jason Toro, Hal Crook, but like all the other classes, I kind of barely made it, you know. Um, but then being around people that play on a much higher level than me, yeah, um, that that really inspired me a lot, you know. And also being able to study with people like Joe Lovano. Yeah. I mean, as I mentioned, the other ones I mentioned before, mm -hmm. like it really kind of humanized the process, you know, because mm -hmm. being from Chile, you look at these people and it's like, God, you know, like, it's like, how does George Garzon place like that? Like, yeah. and I'm talking to them. It made me understand that, yeah, one thing is talent, but a lot of has to do with commitment, you know, mm. wanting to be a better version of yourself. A lot of practice, like frustration, like it's the beauty of life, growing personally, everything. Wow. And so when I took lessons with them, I always asked about the process, you know, and it's something that I always mm -hmm. encourage my students as well. Think about the process, you know, because practicing one thing, but like, like, how do you get there from where, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was the most important lesson I had at, at Berkeley. That's great. You may not know this, but when I was at Berkeley, um, I would sometimes stop outside of your door and listen to you practice. Oh, really? Really, really, really. I was there wow. at first um, in the summer semester of 2008, uh, that was my yeah. first semester in there, and that was the first time I saw you. I don't think we ever spoke, but I knew who you were. Um, yeah, wow. so just, just, just like, because I, I, I was pretty much starstruck when I was at Berkeley. Um, I came from a small island, uh, first time being away from my, well, first time leaving the Caribbean. Um, because I had traveled within the Caribbean before, but um, it was a culture shock and pretty much starstruck as well. So getting the opportunity to listen to um, and be around people like yourself was really, really amazing for me. Um, you know that at that time, people like Justin Faulkner were around and uh, Mario Castro and Clay Lyons. Um, there's so many other names that I, I'm forgetting now, but... Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, the you cultural know, shock was for me too. I had a cultural shock, but it took yeah. me a little bit longer to understand it because I, I needed to learn how to speak English first. Right, right. <laughs> so did you ever take any formal classes or you just kind of learned along the way? Uh, formal. Oh, um, I mean, I took some lessons at Berkeley, mm -hmm. um, but then I really learned just watching Family Guy. <laughs> That's when I took um, and then, oh, you know, man. like, as I, I mean, a couple of years ago, I was like, okay, it's really time to get my shit together, you know? Mm -hmm. So I started reading a lot of books and my pronunciation is still not the best. And I'm not aiming to speak like an American, but mm -hmm. 
you know, just gathering as much vocabulary I can in order to express myself freely, you know, mm -hmm. but it, it, took, it took a long time for me to just stop making the transition from thinking in Spanish and then talking in English. That was, right, that was right. the first thing I need, really needed to get rid of. Yeah, yeah. Do you see any parallels between the process of learning, learning a second language and musical development? And, and what? And musical development, like learning musical language. I think, I mean, I think that the, the process to whatever you do is always very similar, you know. I mean, of course, like if it's different genre or whatever, but it's just about like really studying, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, a commitment and wanted to do it and wanted to do it good, you know. So in that yeah. sense, I think that they're very similar. Yeah, just commit to the process and get through it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, as you know, the, the, the title of this podcast is Keep Taking Ground. And I want to uh, create a resource through these conversations for people to be inspired and be empowered to keep taking ground in their personal um, and creative and professional journeys. Um, we've talked a little bit about, you know, how you started playing the saxophone. But now I'd like to talk about what you value in some of your saxophone heroes and also, what are you in pursuit of? What, what, is, what is your ground, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, my, I think that my purpose is a journey, mm. you know. Um, hopefully, become free one day, you know, before the end of this life or, or the next one or whatever it is, you know, just like free freedom of expression, mm -hmm. you know, so... That is why, like, all the hours of technique, all the hours of trying to find what is the sound, all the study of harmony, you know, transcribing solos and gathering information so I can forget about all of that and I can forget that the saxophone is, look at the saxophone as just, you know, an instrument, a piece of metal, but it's just like a way for me to express what I'm feeling at the moment. So that is my purpose and, mm -hmm. and so meaning the journey to get there. And the things I admire, well, you know, there's one thing that I hear in all the musicians I love is sound, mm -hmm. uh, time feel, yeah. and the way they express themselves, whatever that means, you know. So that is the thing that I'm always looking for, mm -hmm. you know, just like how personal, like how, how honest is the playing. And I think that you can hear that. You can mm -hmm. totally hear that, you know. And also the other thing is that, you know, I, I love people that I see constantly evolving. Right. In one way or another one, you know, like it's not that you're going to play super different. I mean, nobody Coltrane was a genius, you know, but what I mean, like that evolving, like just trying to be a better version of yourself. Mm -hmm. And you can hear that in the music, you can feel it just even, you know, when you hang out around musicians, uh, people that they admire, the kind of music that they play. So mm -hmm. to me, that is like, that is the purpose, you know trying to be a better version of yourself every day, whatever that means, whatever you can do in order to achieve that. Yeah, I, I love that. The one thing you said yesterday that I love is that the journey is the purpose. Yeah, you know, and also, actually, I think that um, that goes on a personal level too. You know what I mean? Like with all this quarantine, um, I've, been, I've been living alone, you know, so it's a lot of time to think, a lot of time to confront some things that you don't confront, you know what I mean? It's just, I think that it's a global experience right now, you know, and, and one of the realization is that like, what is the purpose in life? Like, why am I here? The purpose yeah. is the journey. 
Wow. That's it, you know, and trying to make the best out of that, you know. So that is the way I feel about my personal life, you know. Mm-hmm. It's no, it's just leave it and trying to make the best out of it and the same with music. And I can see, I can really understand how both are related right now. Right, yeah. What's, what's the one thing that you think uh, has become like part of your DNA as a, as a saxophone player? I mean, you, you, you've been in the public eye for a while now um, and you're very accustomed with accolades and compliments, but let's put that aside now and just, um, what is one thing that you are proud of or something that has become part of your DNA as a musician? And, yeah. I think that like the, like, you know, like really the commitment to the music, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm very, like, I'm not on the, well, I was on the other side when I, when I moved to, to New York, you know, like it, it was really, it's been a long journey, you know, it's not that I came here and like I won the monk and it like, it's, I've been here for a while, yeah. in like 12 years, yeah. uh, you know, but like the one thing is just like, is that like I want to get better hmm. than myself, you know, and that is the most important thing for me. So what I wanted to say before is that um, I feel so lucky that I have um, the, the opportunity to be traveling with my band and, and yeah. play my music and also be picky. I want to play with this, uh, you know, <laughs> I feel very spoiled, but that wouldn't mean anything if I don't feel like I'm doing my best. And if I'm able right. to practice, I'm like trying to do something that is meaningful for me, you know, right. so that's why I'm trying to escape out of situations where I'm like, it's just a gig. I, I, I just can't take it, you know, like, because it's just so much, it's so much work, you know, it's so, it's so hard, yeah. you know, it's beautiful, but it's so hard. It's just like determination and like being time alone and thinking and that I just want to try to go for that every time I play, you know? So right. I think that's the one thing that defines me, like just, giving my hundred percent in any situation so even if it's Mm -hmm. a brunch gig or it's a session at home or whatever it is just constantly staying hungry just to keep keep evolving and going after yeah 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 that's great melissa um you know just chatting with you and you sharing a bit about you know your desire to keep evolving and all of that there's a sense that you always want to be playing on the edge of your musical ability. And I hear that coming through your, your music as, as well. Um, just like always being on the vanguard on the edge of what you, what you can do. Um, can you just talk about, you know, what that means for you and, and how it um, affects uh, your, your sound of the sound of your band and, and your writing and all of that? Yeah. I mean, for me, always being on the edge, it means like, and it's something that I deal with it, it's like ego, mm. you know, which is the same thing on a personal level, you know, like yeah. it's an essence and then it's an ego, an ego that makes us much functional in this world, like the ego that is telling us you're supposed to be like this and society tells you that you need to be this and you need to fit into this and at the stage you have to be a man, blah, blah, blah. that is mm-hmm. ego, you know, mm-hmm. that it doesn't let us see the reality, the beauty mm-hmm. of like what you actually really feel and is meaningful for you. So I see the same thing in music, and and this this realization just came this this past couple of weeks, you know. And but um, I remember, and I did with I I sort of did with this purpose when I was at Berkeley. I don't know if you remember Wallace. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was so vibing. I don't care if I say it right now. Everyone was vibing their ass off. You, uh, I went to Wally's once and I never went back. It was intense. It was horrible, you know. <laughs> uh, and also, I didn't speak English. And then I was like, oh, because I'm a girl from like, oof, you know. And I remember the first time I went there and I, and I left crying, you know. I was like, I just felt horrible. They were playing like at Cure Rose in Wilkinson. I remember Jackie's place. And then they were playing... Um, I think I, yeah, I went there and I played my Shining Hour and they started changing keys and they were playing like super fast, like really trying to like kick your ass. And, and I'm so thankful for the experience. Mm -hmm. I understand now, you know, because there were two options, you know, and I think it's the same thing on a personal level. It's like either you confront your shit or you just quit, you know, <laughs> and it's a tendency on a personal level, like when we hide into something because we don't want to confront that. So... I told myself, I was like, I didn't come to Berkeley to be a crying baby. I just cried. Like, mm -hmm. what, is, what is this? You know, like, I've been my whole life. Um, and, and I was like, you know, I need to confront this fear because I think that this ego part is really going to play against what is the real purpose, mm -hmm. which is the journey, you know? And right. so I didn't know the tune. And I remember I went back and I learned uh, my Shining Now in the 12 Keys. And then I learned all the Kerbals and Wilkins tunes. And then I kept going and it was like, it's still uncomfortable, you know? Um, and then at some point it was like, why am I afraid of? And this question came to mind many times during, um, during this last year. And you're going to keep coming. Like, yeah. why am I afraid of? Why? Like, and it's ego because ego tells you, you have to sound like this. Mm -hmm. And this is, means to be like a killing saxophone player playing yeah. all shit, you know and so i went there until i eventually got the gig and i was very thankful for all the vibing because it really made me grow up a lot you know and i think that that is the one place where people are always trying to encourage my students you know like oh well jam sessions suck and blah blah but, but it's not it's about like making something very important out of that you know which is like it doesn't matter yeah. you know so for me, it's like, and I went back to the same situation when I was in New York. Like I was terrified to go to Smalls and everyone was vibing, you know, and, and it was very intense. So I was like, if I can go there and trying to be in the moment, you know, just not play automatic palette, not trying to impress anybody and trying to make the band listen to me, mm. I'm practicing, you know. <laughs> and so I went there every night. I was younger too, so I had the... I had the energy to do it, which mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I remember, like, I had, like, a good couple months. I was like, nobody's listening to me. So I went there. I was like, I'm just going to play super soft and very few notes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, be, just going into the stage and playing very few notes and, and not, like, blow the horn and blow when the rock high group is there. It's like, it takes courage, you know? Right. It takes, like, non-ego. It takes to really understand, like, be mature you know and that was the lesson that i wanted to have regarding that's, that that's that's so important and that's something that i also connect with because i mean from my time at berkeley and then even um moving to toronto here um i was never too interested in putting myself in a situation of like those vibey situations and so I, I, I didn't go to a lot of jam sessions just because of that. But at the same time, I still think that there were some lessons that I didn't learn at that time because I didn't confront those moments. And now I'm going back. And so, you know, 
it's what I'm hearing from what you're sharing is it's not just the ability to stay on the edge um, musically, whether, whether that's, that's pushing the bounds of the saxophone or uh, pushing your ability to play faster or any musical concept, but even personally um, staying on the edge of your ego and confronting the things that you, that you need to so that you're, you're growing both personally and musically at the same time. Yeah. Being uncomfortable, I think that is one of the most important lessons I learned in this quarantine, to be honest, you know, being really like, okay, it's no gigs because I always have, you know, I always have the passion to practice a lot, but like I'm talking, you know, without getting deep, like on a personal level, mm-hmm. really uncomfortable, you know, like I separated, um, like getting divorced in March, you know, so I was like, I gonna, I gonna escape. I gonna I have so many gigs. I'm not gonna deal with anything. And then mm-hmm. boom, I was alone for like I don't know how many months, and I'm right. still living alone here. And mm-hmm. being uncomfortable is is suck, but it's one of the biggest lessons I ever had. And I can see how I knew this from when I was younger regarding music. You know, so the personal part and the musical part were not connected. Mm-hmm. You know, so a lot of answers to my personal thing it was like in the way that I was doing music you know so right. that's why I always make emphasis is like if you want to move forward you have to be uncomfortable you have to accept where you are you have to accept the journey you know so the same when you're transcribing and you want to sound like somebody you get to a point where okay I, I I get what Mark is doing so now I have to let it go and it's it's a really hard thing to do because you're used to think like somebody else you don't have identity and then it's this fear of like what are my ideas you know right so that uncomfortable um part of the process is as important as all the hours um practicing and trying to master somebody else's voice on the Mm -hmm. instrument and that's great that brings us to to another thing so your process of transcribing and know that when we were chatting um, earlier that transcribing has been a huge part of your process of musical growth um, and being really thorough in the process not just transcribing the notes or the rhythms but trying to Im- 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 embody the, the feeling and the articulation and, the, and how yeah. they think and approach the music um, can, we, can we talk about your process of transcribing and this whole um, that applies to, you know, that idea of trying to stay on the edge and trying to push to to evolve. Yeah. So, well, I I, I was lucky that I had a crazy dad <laughs> that would spend like eight hours a day transcribing Charlie Parker with me, and he never told me how to read. Actually, I I. I learned how to read at Berkeley. You know, when they have those ratings, like I had mm-hmm. seven on everything, and on side yes. reading, I have minus, minus seven. <laughs> anything. But there was a very important lesson there because I understood what does it mean to transcribe, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's how I learned about language. My dad taught me, you know, he always encouraged me to think, you know? So we did a lot of theory, we practiced sound, but like he taught me how to learn language through transcribing. Like through taking one phrase, and I remember back then I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Like I didn't, I didn't even like Charlie Parker, but I was just believing him. Mm-hmm. And like he would like spend hours me trying to imitate the the ghost notes or the vibrato, like hours and hours and hours, you know. And and I, you know, like sometimes I have students that I talk about this, and they're like, "But there is, there is so important, you know." And 
so to me, transcribing is um, is important because, as as we were saying before, like sound and and, and time field and the way that you express are concepts, you know. So yeah. so by transcribing and by having a hero, you fall in love with, you understand what you like, mm-hmm. you know, what speaks to you. Right. Um, so I think that there's two very important part of the process, you know, um, at least for my generation, you know, but it's something that actually I hear on every musician that I transcribe. I can hear the history of the music, you know, mm-hmm. so also that tells me something like it's, it's, it's meant to be like that, you know, like somebody like Sonny, who is somebody that I admire so much. I hear a lot of Coleman Hawkins, you know, Breaker, mm-hmm. Joe Henderson, um, Martin and Ward March, Benny Golson, Don Bias, everyone is coming from somewhere. Right. Um, so, so yeah, when, when I, when I transcribe how I do it, first of all, like, I don't know, I've been doing it for years, you know, but like the one advice I could say is that like, start, if you're new at it, like start with something that really makes you passionate. Right. Because something that you could like, identify with. Yeah. It doesn't matter right. if it's Kenny G or it's Charlie Parker. It doesn't matter. Right. Something mm-hmm. that is like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. because it's very deep. You're like, it really, it, it takes a long time, you know? Mm-hmm. And then as you grow older, like, then you start figuring out the shit on your own. You know, like, mm-hmm. I remember when I was at Berkeley, they were like, no, transcribe this and go back. And then I didn't go back until I was like, oh, okay, I understand now. I have to go. I have to go back if right. I want to move forward, you know? Yeah. Um, so then I, I choose a solo. And the, the commitment that I have is that, like, and this is with everything that I practice, like, everything, everything that I start, I finish it, yeah. you know? Even if his solo is like 30 minutes, I have to finish it, you know, so I'm not jumping from one thing to another one. And also I focus so on you're narrowing your focus. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I'm just not that smart. Like I can, I can like <laughs> do this and this and this, and then it's just not the way I am, you know, and mm-hmm. so also you have to do whatever speaks to you. But I basically married the person like for three to four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even like, like for me, I mean, at, at this point, and, and at least when I was at Berkeley too, like it wasn't about the phrases or the notes or the leaks, you know, like I, I did that when I was very young, but my process is like, okay, practice as much um, harmony and understanding of the instrument and control, and mm-hmm. then just transcribe, just eat it. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> another one, memorize it, yeah. you know, um, I use transcribe. So I usually put the transcription like on 25%, like where I can okay. hear all the painful details, like, Wow. That is where is the real shit. That is transcribing, you know? Mm-hmm. And it gets to a point where um, I just get it. You know, something makes click in my mind. I'm like, oh, I, I don't even know what is harmonically speaking. And that happened with Mark. But I was like, I can hear mm-hmm. and I can feel it. And it's enough. Right. I right. got it. So right. then I have to let it go, you know? So it's not, it's not really a secret, you know? I think that the thing is that it's just like how much commitment I right. put in. Right. I was just going to say... you know throughout all of these conversations that that i've been having um the one thing is that has been coming up is that there's there's no shortcuts um you know my my goal here with these conversations is to um i really believe that in demand and award-winning saxophone players know something that the rest of us don't know but so far it's 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 being revealed that it's not necessarily um, some magic, you know, it's, 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 the, it's the simple things like committing to something, narrowing your focus, um, 
being committed to the to, to the process and not necessarily the results of it. Staying on the edge of your ego and overcoming those fears as as all those things that that you've been sharing, things that we've heard echoed from our parents to from to other yeah. to, you know to other things and those things you know and it's 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 so important too because like you were sharing earlier when you got a chance to meet your heroes it humanized the process and i think yeah and i I think you know a lot of times in um i think there's a culture in 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 jazz or let's say contemporary music where um musicians that we admire are deified and so they, they what? Sorry? They, are, they are deified. They become deities. You know, we look up to them like gods. And so I think huh. that influences our own process of musical growth, you know, where we don't, we don't consider ourselves and approach it in a very personal way, you know, because I get the sense of from what you're saying that, you know, if you didn't do take the time to confront um, your fears commit to the process and do that personal development you wouldn't have seen growth on the musical side yeah for sure yeah you know i said i mean accepting how how accepting how you play with hmm. the good and bad you know i'm not I'm like i'm i'm still like i'm happy with a lot of things you know but i accept it mm-hmm. you know so that i think that is so i can totally see how even though i'm perfectionist you mm-hmm. know but I can totally see how it's related to like, I mean, even Sonny Rollins say, I mean, a lot of elders say this, like, you just have to not care, you know, stop caring so you can just really talk. Wow. And that is hard. That, I mean, to me, that is the freedom. That is the, the ultimate goal, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think there's nothing that you would just achieve as you're getting older. Right. And, you know, you, you said something that I found was, it was really profound earlier when we, when we were chatting. You said that there's no innovation. I'm paraphrasing what you were saying, but the, there's no innovation, uh, but there's only transforming information to make it personal. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm sure a lot of associations are going to be like, what are you talking about? But, <laughs> um, but this is my conclusion out of the people that I transcribe and the things I like, you know, mm-hmm. um, to me, one of the most innovative saxophone players, Mark Tanner, you know, mm-hmm. but as somebody that has studied the music, I know that he studied that, mm-hmm. you know, so that is his, his conclusion with all the tools that he knows, you know, like the constant evolving, but it's coming from somewhere, you know, so it's not like, oh, Mark Tanner's playing all these new things. It's, it's, it's coming from somewhere, you know, so that is what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. That to me, it feels like, everything is being done. So now the only thing I can add is my personal experience and my own vision mm-hmm. about it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and, and, and in that way, uh, transcription or transcribing becomes the main tool to keep evolving. Of course, you know, like if I, like I think that like we all, like, I mean, at least in the saxophone players I love, like you can hear that it's a mix of a lot of different people, you know? You yeah. can just that if you really know mm-hmm. so yeah. it makes complete sense you know and, and also like I'm, I mean I'm not I'm just kind of disattaching from some things because I did a lot of different transcriptions old 20s you know and mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and I'm 31, so I'm trying to figure out how to put all those things together. But if I'm going to play the way I'm playing, I want to play because I decide to play like that, you know? So if I'm going to play like completely out or I just want to play one note and hold one note the whole night, I want to do it because that's what I'm feeling, not because I haven't done my homework, you know? (laughs) So, I mean, at least to me, it's very important to just really understand the history of this music. Man, it's been a real pleasure just hearing you talk about uh, your process of transcribing and how you began playing the saxophone. And, you know, I feel blessed to have this opportunity to chat with you, you know. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, really, really blessed. I would love us to, uh, before we, we wrap up this conversation, I would love us to play a rapid fire question game called 321. Uh, I'd like you to share three albums that were influential for you two saxophone players that were influential for you and then leave our audience with one piece of advice. Okay. Uh, so albums, um, well, Freedom Suite mm-hmm. by Sonny Rollins. Yeah. Uh, Free by Benny Golson. Okay. And then I have to mention Kurt Rosen, Wilkin Live at the Vanguard, Remedy. Oh, wow. I have yeah. to mention that, like he's, like all that period with Mark and Kurt that is defines so much for me right now. Um, and then two musicians, you said two saxophone players? Yeah, two saxophone players, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say like, oh, two is hard. <laughs> um, I would say oof, Benny Golson and Don Bias, but like I have to say like Mark Turner is like a big part of those three, so it's like that's okay. Let's like, let's do three. Three one. <laughs> three three one. <laughs> All and, right. And, and yeah. then advice. Um, nothing. Always just remember the purpose is the journey. That's it. You know. I think that makes life easier that way. So that is it. That's great. Wow. There there was so many gems in there, and I feel inspired to keep taking ground in my own personal and creative journey on, on the saxophone. Thank you so much for um, taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with me. And um, my hope is that this conversation um, would help someone listening. Um, if you want to connect with Melissa directly, um, her website is melissaaldana.net. Um, yeah. You're on Instagram as well, right? Yeah, Instagram and um, and Facebook. Okay. And also, you know, like I, I've been posting on Instagram, like some solos, you know, mm-hmm. um, that is, it's not about the solo itself. I'm just kind of like exposing the process. So if anyone is curious about what does it mean or how, how I do it, like I put like even a solo by Kurt and mm-hmm. Lionel Hampton, like a lot of different things, just talking about the process, basically. Yeah, that's amazing. So if you want to check it out, guys, go check out her on Instagram. What's your handle, Melissa? Huh? What's your handle on Instagram? Uh, I think it's Melissa Aldana Sachs. Okay. (laughs) Okay. All right. Great. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I hope this conversation was both inspirational for you and it empowers you to keep taking ground in your personal, professional, and creative journeys. I'm Jesse Ryan. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here, Melissa. Of course. Thank you. All right. I'll catch you on the next episode. Take care. Thank you.
Thank <laughs> you.